command. You may be seated. Turn to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to edit down a little bit what I was going to read. I was going to read the whole chapter 10, but I'm going to save my voice a little bit. I hope you'll go back and read that. But Paul restated his burden. He showed us the problem that the the Jews were looking to their own performance instead of submitting to the righteousness, which is a gift through faith in Jesus. And he shows us that the word of faith is the word of the gospel which shows us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we will be saved. So I'm going to pick up in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew and Gentile. How then will they call upon Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word about Christ, the gospel. Now, this week's text. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Your spirit must attend the preaching of your word must illuminate and apply it to our hearts, must use it to draw us to faith and to grow us in grace. So we pray that you would do that today. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Help us to use the means that you have given us, your word, your your spirit, your prayers. Help us to look to you through your word, to love your word, to seek you in your word, to either come to faith in you or to grow in grace. So bless the preaching 
and the hearing of your word. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. Do you hear me? Did you hear me? Yes, ma'am, I heard you. I don't think you did. That was my mother. Over and over and over as I was growing up. Because she would ask me to do something. And I would hear and understand what she said. But I wouldn't do it. The problem was not my hearing. It was not my understanding. It was my will. It was my heart. I was hearing what she said, but I wasn't obeying the words. I did not obey the words that she had spoken. This describes many in ethnic Israel. It also describes many in the church. Many people in the church hear the gospel every week. They understand the words of the gospel. Maybe even give mental assent to those words. But when push comes to shove, these people are trusting in their goodness and not in the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Many think they are good enough. And we see in our text today, we've seen all through Romans that that is simply not the case. Paul wrote Romans. He shows us that everyone needs a Savior. That that Savior is Christ. That we are justified through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And that when we come to faith, God begins to grow us in grace or sanctify us or make us more like Jesus. And after going through that great crescendo in Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> we started talking about the problem of Israel. Ethnic Israel. Jews, why will only a remnant be saved? Why don't they all believe in their Messiah? Well, we've already seen back in chapter 3 that none believe, none do good, no, not one, right? It's because of sin and total depravity that we focus in on ourselves. And so we began to have Paul explain to us why will only a remnant of the Jews be saved? And we went through that section in chapter 9 on the election of God. Sovereignty and election. Glorious section. We turn the corner in verse 30 of chapter 9 to responsibility in Israel's unbelief. And we've kind of, we're still in that train. And we're going to see how in the plan of God, He will use that unbelief as we go forward in, in chapter 11. This text that we're looking at today is kind of a transitional text to take us into that discussion in chapter 11. So a little bit... It's a little bit of a review. It's a little bit of just a cementing of what we've seen. We've kind of seen some repetition between chapters 9 and chapter 10. We saw Paul repeat his burden. We saw him take us into the gospel. We're seeing him point out that not all, not all Gentiles certainly, but not all Jews have obeyed the gospel. Verse 16. And then we're turning here to see some sobering truth, really. Um, what I've tried to introduce is that the problem is not the physical ear. 
many people who don't trust Christ, who are not his people, understand what the gospel says. The problem is not the ear, it's the heart. It's the unbelieving heart that we have to be very wary of. Because sometimes our hearts will lead us to just not believe, to be overt about our unbelief, to make sure everybody around us knows we're not believers. But sometimes we are unbelievers religiously. And that was the ethnic Israel. And we'll see that. But the main point I want you to see today is just to to see Israel and take the warning that is here. We know none of us deserve a Savior. We all deserve condemnation. But we're still in that section plowing into why will only a remnant be saved. And we see the responsibility here falls on the unbelief of Israel. So the main point, see the warning in Israel's rejection of grace. Isn't that ironic? That's what they did. They rejected grace. And when we reject grace, it's usually because we don't think we need it. See the warning in Israel's rejection of grace and turn in repentance and faith to the God who holds out His hands to you. Look first, Israel's heard the gospel. And it's an interesting quote, isn't it? It's a quote that in its context has to do with general revelation. Think creation, if you don't know what I'm talking about. He says, but I ask. So right after saying faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, he says, but I ask, have they not heard? Have they not heard? And we're speaking primarily of ethnic Israel here. Indeed, they have, Paul says. And he's just getting at the question there. There, And he quotes from Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Like I said, it's an interesting quote. Paul is using a verse to say what he wants to say about the gospel. But we know that this verse in its original context is about the creation. Heavens declare the glory of God, right? The creation declares the glory of God. And it does it all the way around the globe. So sufficiently that you are without excuse for believing, for not believing that there is a God. We don't have to convince anybody there's a God. Right? There's enough evidence to hold you without excuse. You can kick and moan against that if you want to. But God says, not me. That it, that creation is sufficient to show you His power and His existence. And what makes us deny that is our love for sin so that we turn from the truth that is right in front of our eyes. But Paul quotes this verse in a context of saying Israel has heard the gospel. So how does he do that? If you read commentaries, you'll get as many answers as you get commentaries sometimes. Right? But it's, it's kind of, it's pretty simple. If you go read the whole psalm, you'll see that not only does it talk about creation and general revelation, but it talks about special revelation. Right? Paul is drawing a parallel here between the universality of general revelation and the universality of the gospel in second revelation, special revelation. And that's the second half of this psalm. So really, he's just pointing the Jews back to their scriptures. Have they not heard? Of course they've heard. Of course they've heard. The gospel didn't just start 
when Jesus popped out of the tomb. The gospel was first preached to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. The gospel is all through the Old Testament. And I'm not going to go all the way through that. But in the Old Testament, all of those promises, all of those prophecies, all of those sacrifices, even the offices of prophet, priest, and king, all foreshadowed the Messiah that would come to save his people. So, Jesus... A lot of us wish we were with the disciples on the road to Emmaus when he took those disciples and showed them how he was the fulfillment of all of the scriptures from Genesis to Maps, right? All of the Old Testament in its fundamental message, in its foundational message is the word about Christ we've already seen. So, yes, the gospel is all through the Old Testament. Certainly they have heard it. They've seen it in the temple and the sacrifices. They've heard it in the word read and proclaimed. Paul's saying, listen, the problem is not with the ear. They have heard. They have heard. Their own scriptures megaphone the gospel. I mean, think about Isaiah 53. 700 years before Christ, reads like an account of his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. How can it do that? God. The Spirit inspired it. People try to explain it away and it's hopeless. You can't do it. The Scriptures had been preached to the world by the time Romans was written. And you say, stop, preacher. Don't we still need to go to the end of the world in mission? Yeah. But when Paul uses the word world, he's talking about the known world. Like Luke did, like others did. They were talking about the Roman Empire. By the time this is written, this gospel is going out. And so there is no excuse. But the Old Testament clearly shows the coming Messiah will die for the sins of his people before he is raised and reigns. Martin Vincent said the gospel message is like that of a starry sky proclaiming God's glory to all the earth. So just as God makes himself known as the creator of the natural world, so too he makes himself known as the savior through the preaching of the gospel. And by the time of this writing, like I said, the gospel had gone throughout the empire. The gospel started, think about where it started, to the Jew first. It started in Jerusalem when thousands were converted. So, yes, the the Jews have heard. They've truly heard. Hearing wasn't the problem. Believing, trusting, repenting, resting in Christ alone, they were unwilling to do. So the Jews have heard the gospel. Number two, the Jews are Israel. Israel has heard the gospel. And now number two, Israel has understood God's purposes. Or the point is, should have. Because just like the gospel is clear in the Old Testament, so are God's purposes. Y'all know that the New Testament is just an inspired commentary on the Old Testament, right? With Christ in the center. But look at verses 19 and 20. So he's asked, if, is Israel, have they heard? Yes, they've heard. 
Didn't they understand? Look in verse 19. I asked, did Israel not understand? And so he's going he's, he's, he's gonna to say, yes, they understood. And he's going to give two proofs that they should have under, understood. They had the word right there in front of them. God's eternal purpose was revealed in the Old Testament. And his purpose, eternal purpose, it wasn't a plan B. His eternal purpose was to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And have them around his throne. From the Jews and from the Gentiles. And Israel had sufficient revelation of it. Look at the first proof that he quotes. Did Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation. I will make you angry. So God's going to use those who are not the nation of Israel to make Israel jealous and angry. Well, who are, who are those who are not the nation of Israel? The Gentiles. So they could read that clearly and say, okay, if, if God has a purpose here that he's expressing in Deuteronomy 32, 20, 21, and he's saying, these are not the nation, right? These are a foolish nation. They're not the Jewish nation. Obviously, then he has purposes for the Gentiles. And then somehow he's going to use the Gentiles to make us jealous. We just introduced chapter 11. You see the connection there. So Paul points them back to Deuteronomy, back to Torah, back to the fifth book. and says, it's there. You should have understood not only that the Christ was coming as a suffering servant, but that he was going to save more than just Jews. He was going to save Gentiles as well. So Paul quotes the first proof is Deuteronomy 32.21. And his second proof, then he's going to settle into Isaiah 65. But look at verse 20. Then Then Isaiah is so bold to say, Watch this. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. It's another proclamation of election. Not going there this morning. Uh, We dealt with that pretty good in the rest of chapter 9. Back, I'll let you go back and listen to that. But but he he says here, quoting Isaiah 65.1, I've been found by those who did not seek me. And I have shown myself to those who did not ask me. Look back in, in verse 30 of chapter 9. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness by faith. Paul's saying, can't you see? Can't you see in your Old Testament, which they wouldn't have called it that, their scriptures. Can't you see the Christ there? And can't you see the purposes of God there? This gospel going to the Gentiles shouldn't be a confusing matter for you. It shouldn't be controversial because it's what I've always promised to do. God's church was right there in Deuteronomy 5, right there in Isaiah 65. All proclaimed, as many as the prophets who proclaimed have proclaimed these days, Peter would say in Acts. The church was prophesied in the Old Testament. And Paul is showing the Jews that they should have understood Christ and they should have understood God's purposes. Israel 
as understood because they're in the Scriptures. So the problem again wasn't the ear. The ear wasn't the problem. And the revelation wasn't the problem. God has been clear about what He was going to do. But number three, here's the problem. Israel has rejected God's grace. I find this an astonishing verse in, in one way. Or in many ways, I guess. Some of which are about God. After showing that the Old Testament predicts the, the bringing in of the Gentiles, he says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a dis- disobedient and contrary people. He's talking about Israel. He is talking about ethnic Israel. And God describes Israel as a disobedient and contrary people. And honestly, if you read your Old Testament, you'll see that. Why were they exiled to Babylon? Because they were a disobedient and contrary, contrary to God, disobedient to God, very religious, very religious, but disobedient to God. But let's look. Let's look first at God's posture. Uh, this is comforting. It's surprising. It's amazing. You see long suffering here. You see mercy here and grace here. You see the pleading. Of the Lord with his people here. He says of Israel, he says. Now look at the first part. All day long I have held out my hands. What is that? Evangelist, if I, if I reach out to you like this, what do I want you to do? Come to me, right? Right? Isn't that a gracious posture? And, and, and he, said, he said, look back at the verse. One time I've held out my hands to you. What did he say? All day long. That means just one day, right? What's this figure of speech telling us? That's his continual posture. So yes, God is sovereign. All that is true. Man is responsible. God is sovereign, but He's not cold. And He pleads. You see it all through the Old Testament. Oh, that my people would listen to me. He's sovereign, but He's not cold. Not cold-hearted. His arms are held out continually. Tenured, that's like think, parents, you tenderly call your child to you. It's a posture of a persistent, gracious entreaty. He's persistent in calling the wayward back. If you're wayward this morning, he's calling you back. You don't have to wonder about that. 
In fact, He's commanding you back. But God's, this is, this benefited me to, to think about it and to study about it and to, just to remember God's open posture. God's open arms. I mean, yeah, we stretch them like that. We see the cross, don't we? But, it, but come to me. Why would you die? Why would you die? That persistent, gracious entreaty. He had always stretched out his hands to Israel. You say, how did he do that? Through the creation, yeah. But through his scriptures. Think about what a blessing Israel enjoyed. To have the direct special revelation of God. And so God was stretching out his hands through Moses. Calling the people. Even after their unfaithfulness to go into the land. Wouldn't go. And if after a generation died in the wilderness. Then we have the second law of Deuteronomy. And he's going to take them on in the land. God was stretching out his hands through Moses. He was continually stretching out his hands through the prophets. The prophets were God's prosecutors. Showing the people how they had turned from his law. How they had turned to idols. How they needed to turn back. If they would experience blessing. So God's hand was stretched out through the puppets. It was stretched out through John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist's ministry? One word characterized by repentance. He was calling the people to repentance. He was calling them to prepare the way for the Lord. Who was coming. And certainly he stretched out his hands through Christ. He stretched out his hands through the apostles. He's stretching out his hands to us through all of his scriptures, through his creation in general revelation and through his special revelation, his scriptures. And we have them. Genesis to Revelation is the content of authoritative special revelation. Don't let anybody else make up anything else for you. I don't care what they say. I heard a word from the Lord. Well, if it's not this, you didn't. This is the word from the Lord that was incarnate in Christ. A lot of people making a lot of stuff up these days and taking a lot of people captive with it. But if we're rooting ground here, we're safe. If you know this, the counterfeit will stick out like a sore thumb to you. God... Reaching out. Here's a couple of examples and I'll move on. Ezekiel 33.11 Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Hear the passion. Turn back from your evil ways. Watch this. For why will you die? O house of Israel. You see that gracious posture? That my arms outreached. Calling them back to truth. Calling them back to himself. Because he's the true God. Calling them therefore. Back to blessing. As his people. And then the best picture. Is in Matthew 11. It's Christ himself. What does he say? Come to me. Get over here right now. Uh, parents, we do that sometimes, don't we? 
because our kids are not listening. Hear this as a, that gracious entreaty. With arms outstretched. Jesus being the Lamb of God, being God-man, being the Savior, the King of kings, has come to save His people. And He says, come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Stop. Is that how you see Jesus towards you? You are His people if you are trusting in Him. He is gentle, lowly in heart, arms outstretched. Your good shepherd. He says, you will find rest for your souls. Listen, isn't that what you're looking for? Isn't that what you're looking for? This lack of turmoil, this contented peace, this rest, this knowledge that all is good With you and God. He says, come to me. Yoke up to me. Another way of saying, repent, trust me. And you'll find rest for your souls. So just ponder that. God's outstretched arms continually. Yes, throughout the Old Testament. But there's no indication He's put them down yet. And in fact, Christ standing there saying, Come to me. He would weep over Jerusalem. Maybe he's speaking to you this morning. Why would you die? Come to me. Find the rest for your soul in me. But look at Israel's response. Israel's rebellious heart. See, the heart is the problem. He says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. There's the problem. Sinful heart that naturally rejects the grace of the gospel. Apart from God's grace working in us. See, if you don't believe Christ, if you don't believe in the gospel, that's not good news. That's bad news. You've rejected His outstretched arms. But it's our hearts. That's why the writer of Hebrews, Paul, through the pen of Luke, if you wondered. That's why he said, Beware, lest there be in you an unbelieving heart that causes you to depart from the living God. But this is amazing. This is how ethnic Israel is described. A disobedient and contrary people. Listen to this. Maybe this will wake you up this morning. Apart from the remnant that God always preserved, Israel hated their God. Apart from the remnant, Israel hated their God. What is the love of God? John tells us. That we keep His commandments and His commandments aren't burdensome. So what is the hatred of God? To see His commandments as burdensome and not keep them. It's not about feeling. Whether I feel like I hate God. None of those Jewish people would have felt like they hated God as they were in the temple going by the letter of the law doing A plus B plus C plus C. But the heart... 
They were very religious. They loved the tabernacle. They loved the temple. They loved the stained glass window. Oh, wait, that's later in there. I've had people not come here because we didn't have stained glass windows. I'm serious. I just need those things. I'm used to those things. You know what? The early church didn't have stained glass windows either. Religion is so dangerous, isn't it? Not by this, I mean unbiblical religion. But even the things that God has prescribed, we can take and turn. And turn them into idolatry. See, they were very religious. They loved all of the religious trappings. But they rejected grace. They thought they were good because they were born Jews. They were good because they kept the law. Like the rich young ruler. He thought at first he was okay, right? What must I do to have eternal life? Keep the commandments. Oh, check Jesus. I got that. Hadn't kept a one of them. Jesus shows him by exposing the first one. See, the Jews thought their law keeping was good enough. And listen, I'm not just beating up on the Jews this morning. Many are like them in the church today. If you think your good works are going to outweigh your bad works somehow, you're in the same boat. God doesn't grade on the curve. You're either holy or you're not. You either keep his law in thought, word, and deed perfectly from cradle or grave, or you don't. And, and thankfully, he's already let us in on the secret. There's none good. No, not one, chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need a Savior. My only question to you this morning is, will you hear that? Do you trust that? Believer, are you rested in that? And those of you who are not believing, arms outstretched, he commands you to believe. See, many are like this in the church today. Cleaned up, self-righteous people who will ride their pews all the way to hell without serious heart change. Crooked fingers pointing at other people. All the while trusting that they're good enough. How is your heart? Let me, let me back up. How would God describe your heart? Submissive to Him? Not perfect. We're, we'll be glorified. When we're glorified, we'll be perfect. But have you submitted to the gospel? Have you believed that Christ is the only way? Have you seen that you deserve, you deserve condemnation from God? We were all born. Here's, here we go. We were all born disobedient and contrary people. That's why we all need a Savior. <clears throat> How is your heart? Are you satisfied with your religious performance? You know, I go to church occasionally. I, I watch preachers on TV. I even give money. I read my Bible most of the time. Hey, I even take out my neighbor's trash. I'm, surely I'm good. No, you're not good. What Jesus say? There's none good but one, and that's God. So first, hear the law, the commandments of God. The first thing they do for us is show us that we fall short. None of us have kept His commandments in thought, word, and deed. 
Have you seen that you fall short? And then hear the gospel. Mercy of God available in Christ. Christ succeeded where we have failed. He is the only righteous one who ever lived. And yet, then he died and atoned for our sins. Perfect righteousness, perfect atonement in Christ Jesus alone. Let me just ask you. I mean, even an AI was preaching the truth of Christ came the other day. I, was, I saw that on. Because they're rightly interpreting history. So I'm not going to get into that with you. It's, it's a foolish discussion. People say he never existed. That's crazy. Need a rubber hat. Okay? But let me ask you this question. Why did he come? Ask yourself that question. Why did Jesus come? And specifically in reference to me, did he just come to congratulate me and receive me for I've been so good? Paul says if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died for no reason. Jesus came, the scriptures tell us, to die for our sins. To be buried and to be raised the third day. And that salvation is through trusting not myself, but Him. So I have to go through repentance. I have to turn from trusting in myself, going my own way, calling my own shots. I have to turn towards God and receive His Son as my Savior, trusting and resting in Christ alone. Kids, you know the verse, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Really, it should be God loved the world in this way. Or in this manner, God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is good enough. Now, that's the wrong translation. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you believing in him? Are you trusting in him? Salvation comes through trusting Christ in Christ alone. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said. Be good and do good. That's what Paul said, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Your hope, if you have any, is outside of yourself. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you have him? That determines everything. God's arms are outstretched. And he calls to you, come to me. But if you read the end of Acts chapter 17, it's a loving command. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed the day of judgment. He's entrusted that judgment to his son. And he's proved that he is the Savior by raising him from the dead. Have you heard him when he says, come to me? So let's take a couple points of application and we'll move towards the Lord's Supper. First, be warned by Israel as a test case. Be warned. They had clear revelation of the gospel in their scriptures. And they clearly heard the words of the gospel in their scriptures and by the time we're reading here, from it being preached even in Jerusalem. 
But even when the gospel was truly preached to them, I'm talking about in general, in mass, we know the remnant repented, right? But when the gospel was preached to them, they heard it, they understood it, and they rejected it. They were a disobedient and contrary people because they had disobedient and contrary hearts. I'm going to ask you again, how is your heart? Your life reveals your heart. Is you is your heart submissive to God? So that you have turned and you have trusted Christ? Or is it a bad heart? A dead heart? A disobedient and contrary heart? It is if you are rejecting Jesus Christ. Hear God's plea to you. Why would you die? Turn and live. Secondly, be encouraged by God's persistent grace. That the day of salvation is not over. He continues to extend His arms. He's continuing in that posture of a persistent, gracious entreaty. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. He calls you today with his arms stretched out to you. Will you hear? Really hear? Will you obey the gospel? Will you turn to Christ? Many of us have. That's a work of his grace in our hearts. We don't get any credit for that. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ. Faith, even the faith to receive Christ is a gift. We saw that in Romans 9. I'll let you go back and read those. But we also are responsible for our hearts, for our unbelief. And the heart is the center of the matter. So if you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning, be encouraged. Encouraged by this gospel. If you are not trusting in Christ this morning, you're in trouble. Big trouble. God-shaped trouble. Hear, hear the gospel and turn to Christ. I was really encouraged in the reading the other day. Um, refreshed in the book of Galatians. But then when I got to verse 20 of chapter 2, just it just refreshed on me and, and hit me in a way. You know how that happens. Don't expect that to happen every time you read the Bible. But sometimes something, it's like it just reaches out and grabs you. It makes you just stop. And ponder. I pray this is your testimony. If it's not, I pray that it will be. But Galatians 2.20, Paul says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Watch this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Me is what jumped out to me. And reminded me. He didn't say who loved us. And that's okay. And it said in other places. And gave himself for us. Paul was specific. I live by faith. In the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. And you might say, I wish I could know he loved me and gave himself for me. You know how you know? 
where you get this really exhilarating feeling that starts in your feet. And it, no. You know he loved you and died for you because you trust him. He's working in your heart so that you will believe and trust him. And if you have faith in the Son of God, true faith, he put it there. R.C. Sproul used to say, if you have any real love for God, that's evidence of a work of grace. Because you weren't born with any of that. If you have any love for Jesus. But listen to me. Meditate on that verse. Go back and pray that verse. And look to the Lord. And make it personal like that. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Who extended his arms to me. And received me. In salvation. So, conclusion, don't be one who merely hears the gospel. Every time you hear it, if you reject it, it hardens you a little bit more. Don't be like one who merely hears the gospel. Hear it and obey it by repenting and trusting in Christ alone. I found this hymn by Charles Wesley, I'm going to close with it, that turns it around. God is stretching out his hands towards us, and then the response of the believer is to stretch out their hands towards him. So if you ever have done that with a small child a lot of times, especially if they haven't seen you in a while, you hold out your arms, guess what they do? Same thing, they run with their arms out and grab you. But Charles Wesley wrote this, I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, ah, whither shall I go? What did thine own son, only son endure before I drew my breath? What pain, what labor to secure my soul from endless death? Author of faith, to thee I lift my weary longing eyes. Oh, let me now receive that gift. My soul, without it, dies. The gift of Christ. To live is Christ. Yeah, y'all are getting good at that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Your mercy, your kindness, your outstretched arms. Thank you for sending your Son. To conquer our disobedient, contrary hearts. I pray for any who are not trusting you this morning. In this building or through the recording or through the live stream. That you would help them to see their need of you. And how far they fall short. That they can never be good enough to be accepted by you. That they must repent. And trust in Christ and Christ alone. For those of us who know you, Lord, who, whom you have brought to faith, strengthen and encourage us with this gospel. Help us to live by faith in the Son of God, personalizing it, who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Work in us for your glory. 
Convert and sanctify your people. It's in Jesus' name I pray.